up, Mr. Scott. Permission to come aboard, sir. Welcome to Now Playing's Star Trek Retrospective Series. We here at Now Playing will be reviewing all of the previous installments of the Star Trek movie franchise, going at warp speed towards the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie coming to theaters May 8, 2009. Bringing you the perspective of a Star Trek novice, a casual Star Trek movie fan, and a former hardcore Trekker, we will be providing spoiler-filled critiques of this long-running movie franchise. Today we're talking about Star Trek Nemesis, starring Patrick Stewart, Brent Spiner, Jonathan Frakes, and directed by Stuart Baird. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A.? Arnie, south of Chicago. And we have come to the Batman and Robin of the Star Trek series, the film that killed the franchise. This is the last one until this remake that is coming out in one week. So uh, Two things, two things. Yes. Off the bat, I don't think it's fair to call this the Batman and Robin when Enterprise was still on television putting nails in the coffin. <laughs> okay. And second, what's coming up is not a reboot nor a remake. It is a earlier tale. Okay, great. So... <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we just move on? Are you telling me they're not going to do things to contradict what was on the Sixty show? Do you want to know? No, I don't. Okay, then. Why don't we start off our episode of Star Trek Nemesis with the briefest of plot summaries. Arnie. I want to apologize for this plot summary, although really the person who should be apologizing is the writer. Romulus. The planet of Romulans, which we've not seen in ten Trek movies. They are having their own little insurrection where the Remans, who we've never heard of before this movie, are rebelling, led by Shinzon. They take out the entire ruling council of the Romulans, and we find out that Shinzon is a clone of Captain Picard, who the Romulans made 30 years earlier with the intent of replacing Picard and having an agent inside the Federation. But politicians changed. They figured that this imposter would be caught and seen as an act of war. So they sent him to live with the Remans, which are basically working class Nosferatu-looking dudes. Good call. And there he builds up the working class people to overthrow the Romulan government. He then makes signs of peace toward the Federation when in fact he has a plan to destroy all of the people on Earth and he has to kidnap Picard because his DNA structure is breaking down because the Romulans never completed his programming of making him advance 30 years so that he could catch up to Picard's age and so he must drain Picard's blood in order to save his own life. In the end, the Enterprise fights them off. The Romulans, who had aided Shinzon, rebel against Shinzon. Shinzon kills them all. Shinzon tries to fire the weapon to destroy all life on the Enterprise after the Enterprise rams Shinzon's ship. Picard tries to sacrifice himself by stopping Shinzon, but Data comes in at the last moment, sacrificing himself and saving Picard and killing Shinzon. What's interesting, Arnie, is how the Romulans lure Picard. And when I say interesting, I really mean what they came up with 
to have the Romulans lure Picard is they find a positronic field message something, a positronic whatever, which is what Davis... Energy signature? Yes, signature. There you go. And they lure Picard to this Mars-like planet where they find pieces and parts of what turns out to be another data, which is called Before. And it turns out that he's just a dumber, less advanced version of Data, but looks exactly the same. It's Data's special needs twin brother. (laughs) And it turns out that, of course, he's programmed to, you know, betray the Enterprise and give information the Romulans need to find Earth to use their Death Star-type weapon to destroy Earth and everyone on it. And so we should really start here. What the hell? Before we get too far into it, you mean? Yeah, I agree with Stuart. What the hell? I can take one doppelganger, but a doppelganger that doesn't even look like the person it's supposed to or act like him. And then we also get another data just so that when data dies, it's not a big deal because we have another one lying around. It's data. Data. (laughs) Whatever. Okay, so you mentioned data dies at the end of the movie. As soon as he dies at the end of the movie, I turn to my wife and say, gosh, good thing they have extra data laying around. Exactly. And by luck, have his memories already downloaded because Jordy in the middle of the movie says, I can't believe the captain went along with this downloading all of your memories into this other unit data. I mean, give me a break. Why would they have this B4 plot in a plot about a clone? It doesn't make any sense to have both. None. Well, the reason is because Brent Spiner has a story writing credit. Oh. Oh. <laughs> What, what was his contribution? Do we know that? We don't know for certain, but I would guess it's the data plot. I don't think it's, <laughs> let's introduce some Nosferatu-looking aliens. Yes. I think they looked more like Admiral Akbar as a piranha, but that's me. Now, here's what bugs me. There's already an evil data. His name is Lore. He was exactly his first or second season. Exactly. I, as the quote unquote Star Trek newbie, knew that much. I watched the series when that plot happened and I'm like, didn't we already explain that there was another data? And like, he's not an evil data, though. He's like, he's. Yes, he was. Well, he was. He caused problems. Yeah, but he wasn't. Lore was evil before was misprogrammed and retarded. Oh, I, you're saying B4 is not evil. Yes, yes I am. correct. Yeah. He's not evil. But boy, that would have been more exciting, wouldn't it have? Well, does this lore guy have like a mustache and a beard like the evil Captain Kirk? Unfortunately, no. He oh. is exactly identical. And wow, were split screen effects bad in 1987, let me just say, having done some research. I did like the characterization that Brent Spiner did of B4. You could tell who was who, besides just the outfit he was wearing. As an acting exercise... I thought the two characterizations were quite different and well done. I give him props for that. Well, there's a couple things that I think regarding B4. I mean, first of all, the fact that they made him simple. Second of all, the fact that he was there. But finally, I don't think you needed him to resurrect Data because you already had Lore, who in the end of the series was disassembled by Data and probably somewhere in storage. I mean, maybe he blew up when the Enterprise D blew up. But you could always say Lore was in cold storage. You could have had just a brief shot of Data jacking into a computer for an unknown reason, and just like Spock's Remember, and maybe had him taking over the Enterprise in the next movie, it's, you know, the search for Data somewhere in the Enterprise computer. I mean, you didn't have to do it this way, because I'm left thinking if Data comes back, he's going to be Sling Blade. (laughs) Some people call it a transporter, I call it a beamer, uh uh-huh. 
let's stay with this whole thing about finding B4 on this planet because right off the bat with this movie, they have a car chase in a Star Trek movie. A dune buggy, no less. Yeah. It's the new transport. Instead of just beaming to the location, the brand new thing is a dune buggy with a gun. I think that's <laughs> in, I think G.I. Joe sells one now. I think that they waited way too long to build that if it's the 24th century. And this movie has, I thought for the first half hour or so, I was trying to get into it really bad. And it just seemed like there was something going on with the direction and the camera angles and the way it was produced seemed much more crisp and high quality with the camera work, with the special effects all around. It just seemed like the game was stepped up, but the movie completely collapses under its own weight. The decisions, while some of them were neat, didn't really make sense to me. And the first thing right off the bat was beyond before, how they find before on this Mars-like planet, they had this washed out look with the light and the red planet. It was a great example of what an interesting idea. Let's do this thing for Star Trek, which was something different with Star Trek. And it really didn't feel like Star Trek. It felt like Mad Max. It felt really odd that you made that decision to have this crystal clear story up in space and then go down on this planet and so hard to look at, I was almost squinting looking at my screen. To me, the sense was they were trying to give this movie some sense of something new. And the, my biggest problem with it is there's a whole lot of been there done that to the whole affair. It felt like... Yes, we've already had a data, uh, already had a brother subplot. I mean, they were making jokes about Romulan ale again. It, they were, the Romulans were coming into the Federation like the Klingons were coming into the Federation part six. It just felt like as someone that hadn't seen all the movies and now that I have, I was like, wow, no wonder this was the end. They're out. There's nothing in the jar. So it doesn't surprise me that they slicked up the action scenes. I thought there was a couple action scenes there that really felt incongruous and were not Star Trek. But you know what? They were the best parts of the movie because they were the only time I were paying attention. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head right there. They had a Star Wars-type shootout in the hallways of their spaceship. They had the space battle which with the cloak things, with the three-on-one, which was kind of neat. A lot of this did not feel like... Star Trek at all and None. didn't look like Star Trek either that being said the movie looked gorgeous the special effects were fantastic and it just didn't seem to have a story that carried all that extra stuff with it the dune buggy aside I thought it felt very much like a Star Trek story there have been shootouts in the hallways all the time what bothered me with the shootout in the hallway is I didn't understand what the Remans were trying to do why'd they come aboard it seemed like an ill-gotten plan to invade this giant star ship. I have problems with the plot the whole way through. For, to go back to what Brock was saying about the planet being washed out, I just thought they were trying to make Arizona look more alien by overexposing the film. And this was a look that was becoming popular at the beginning of this decade. I mean, if you go back and look at things like Black Hawk Down, they're all, all these war movies, they're shot in this uh, way. It's something to do with the shutter. They speed up the shutter, I think. And that's what creates the effect. It's all over the place. Ridley Scott does it a lot. He did it in Gladiator. He did it in now, Hannibal. There's he, two different things going on. I think Brock and I are talking about basically the overexposure. You're talking about like that stutter effect thing. Yes. And yes. I didn't notice the stutter effect in this. I noticed that on the planet, everything was just really washed out. Yeah, but there was a lot of slow-mo going on in this movie, too. They used slow-mo shots for the rifle and the, um, when the guy fell down the chasm in the, in the Enterprise. Well, let's not forget, this director had only directed two movies before, one of which was Executive Decision, wh whose big moment was Steven Seagal falling out of a plane in slow-mo. So. Oh, there you go. And what else did he do? 
U.S. Marshals. Oh, really? So this guy does not have a good track record in my book. He makes action movies, and it feels like it. The best parts of the movie are action. It makes sense in a way. It just doesn't make sense that they'd hired him for this. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting choice, and they obviously hired him for a specific reason, and he brought the game he knows how to play. I just felt it didn't really feel right at all the time. I want to add one piece of trivia. LeVar Burton and one other cast member, and I'm blanking on which one, have actually come out railing the director of this movie, saying that it's the director's fault that this movie movie sucks so badly because he had some creative input and he had no familiarity with Star Trek, had never seen an episode. He actually thought Jordy was an alien because of his eyes. Huh. knew nothing about it and came in and this is the last movie that director has directed he's a uh, edited a ton before and after but i mean i don't know i i honestly think they would have been better off handing the reins back to frakes but after insurrection frakes asked for the reins back and was told no so so why don't we call out the monkey in the room hi hi this movie hinges on a clone romulan of picard is this the first time cloning has been in part of the Star Trek universe? No. And why are they doing it now? What is the point of this plot? I don't get it. Cloning is not new to Star Trek, but I don't understand why the villain had to be a clone of Picard. What did that add to the story? I completely agree. I got nothing more out of Shinzon being a clone of Picard than I would have gotten out of Shinzon being a Remen. And if they were going to make a clone of Picard, why not have Patrick Stewart play the part? Who is this guy? He was terrible in the part. He was sniveling. He was not threatening. He had nothing that Picard had at all. If I were Geordi, drunk on Romulan ale, in a windstorm, I wouldn't think that this guy looked like Picard at all. I mean, there's just there's nothing about him that's Picard-like. I agree. He's, he doesn't look like bald. Picard. Yeah, no. and, and Picard wasn't bald that young. I, he, <laughs> this kid was shaving his head. Uh, I mean, he doesn't look like Picard. He doesn't act like Picard. He doesn't talk like Picard. He doesn't even have a French accent. No. I love Patrick Stewart, the actor. I think he would have done a lot if it was Picard versus Picard. If they had really gone with that and there was someone that looked just like Picard and it was Picard battling Picard, he would have had fun. I would have had fun. Great. But this guy, he kind of reminded me of the mummy or whatever. Just some bald sniveling guy. It's just very ineffectual. And then how bad would that have been if it was Picard versus Picard and Data versus Data? Exactly. You don't do data. That plot should not have happened, period. It seemed to me that the reason they brought in B4 was, and they had Riker getting promoted, he got married in the beginning of the movie, and he got promoted at the end, his last cruise as the first officer. It seemed to me they were setting us up for the next movie. This is like a transition movie, so that Brent Spiner can try something different next movie with this B4 character becoming more like Data. It seemed like they were going to have a whole other movie based on the events that happened in this one, but that didn't happen. Was there plans for another movie after this one, or am I just you know spitballing? I don't think there were any plans for a movie after this one beyond let's make this one and see how it does at the box office. Even with these plot threads wide open for the next time it's going to be a game changing? Nothing I've read has said anything about in the next one we were gonna. No I think that they were looking at it as everybody's getting more expensive, especially Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner. 
if we do another one, these one guys might be hard to get back. And that's a big if we do another one. The time between Nemesis and Insurrection is the longest that had passed without a Star Trek movie since 1979. So you get the feeling they weren't gung-ho on this one. They're like, eh. All right, after four years, we're going to let you try again. But I don't think that there was a grand scheme like there kind of was when they killed Spock, where they were like, well, if we want to bring Spock back, we'll have the option here. Yeah, if they wanted to bring Brent Spiner back, they had the option, but they just as easily could have saved themselves some dough and not brought him back. And if they wanted to make it about the Titan and Captain Riker, they could have and maybe had Patrick Stewart in a cameo or something. I don't think that would work. You take the Enterprise out of this movie and yeah, right. it wouldn't work. But, yeah, I mean, if you think that's what they're setting up, they wrote books about it. Sure, sure they did. I agree with Arnie in this much that there was this paralysis of creativity. They didn't know what to do. They sensed it was long in the tooth. They knew they could shake down some more money by doing another one but where to go this doesn't feel like the conclusion this doesn't right. feel like six where they're waving goodbye to the next generation cast exactly. and saying we loved you thanks for all that you do it felt like uh we're just gonna do this and if people watch maybe we'll do some more well yeah it's kind of like i'm saying is that all these things set up for another movie but they didn't have to do it but it seemed like they they set the stage for a whole different adventure for the next time out I don't know what that adventure would look like, and I don't know who it would have involved. Well, let's look at the fact that every freaking movie, they bring Worf back. I mean, if they just keep bringing Worf back to the ship, they wouldn't have done it without all the primaries. They would have had to have the primary five. But this is the best reason for bringing him back. I understand that he come back for a wedding of one of his old crew exactly. members. That made sense to me. I was totally down with that. It was. I remember thinking, oh, this is the first time Worf has shown up that actually made sense to but me. But actually, he's not just there for the wedding. He's serving on the ship. He's back on the Enterprise. Was Deep Space Nine over at that point? It was, and when we left, he was the Federation ambassador to the Klingon people. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so somehow, apparently, he must have pissed off some Klingons and got demoted back to Enterprise security. This starts off at a wedding, Riker and Troy's wedding. And Can we I mention see- something about that wedding? That wedding is the whole reason I saw this movie in theaters. This movie came out, and I had a huge yawn. But then I read at Will Wheaton's website, willwheaton.net. I became a fan of Will Wheaton around the time of this movie because he's actually a fairly skilled writer. And he writes these autobiographical stories, but he writes them very well. And I was reading his site, and he was called back. And I'm like, how the hell do they bring back Wesley Crusher because when we last saw Wesley Crusher he went to become an interdimensional being he evolved past humanity so the whole reason I plunked down my six dollars movies were cheaper back then for this movie was I wanted to see them explain Wesley being at the wedding and he's there and he's in a Starfleet uniform so he went from interdimensional being to the role of lieutenant and they cut all his lines. Every one of Will Wheaton's lines, cutting room floor. He, you can see him only in the widescreen edition during Patrick Stewart's toast and never explain. Yeah, I saw him there. Yep, never explained. Although it was nice to see Whoopi back. Yeah, it was nice. And she had a quick little line. Well, 23 marriages are enough for me. Ha ha. 
This is like, where's Waldo? Where's Wheaton? I didn't see him. I didn't catch him. <laughs> Another thing that I, I noted, more of a question than anything, in all of these gratuitous cameos, Janeway, I don't know her actress, pops up very briefly to have a dialogue with Picard. I don't even remember what they talk about. All I remember thinking is, did Voyager come back or is this pre-Voyager? Voyager had come back and ended before this movie came out. Enterprise okay. was on the air and it was the only Trek at the moment when this movie came out. How did they get back? I know this is a, I could go to the internet and find this out, but it was very curious that they would have her on there and not have any explanation to me. You know what? I watched the series finale and I don't remember exactly, but it had something to do with time travel and a future Janeway telling current Janeway. <laughs> Just stop. I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> Well, here's what's funny is this movie has the most left on the cutting room floor of any of the Trek films, and everything that was cut were character moments. You say this doesn't feel like a loving goodbye, and I kind of agree that after the wedding it doesn't, but during the wedding, I'm like, they brought back Will. They brought back Whoopi. It's kind of like I felt during that moment that they were saying goodbye, and if we could ever see this, like, 90 minutes of lost footage, then perhaps we would see it as a goodbye, but they didn't even put it on this special edition two-disc set DVD. There's a lot of footage that has never been seen for this film. And while we're talking about quick cameos, I did see Brian Singer, didn't I? Yes, you did. The director? Yeah, he was on the bridge. He ran to press a button and then he flashed away. Yes, that oh. was it. Okay, I wasn't crazy then. So we talked about this last episode, the way they got data down from that crazy ship thing was he saying Gilbert and Sullivan. This time they used... Irving Berlin. They brought it back at the end of the movie, which I didn't see coming with before singing at the end of the movie. But you have Brent Spiner singing at the beginning of the movie, Blue Skies, another 20th century song. Just want to put that out there. Let it go, man. Let it go. Just want to say that I point Let it valid. go. My, you're giving me Let a lot go! of go. This is the 10th episode of Let now playing Star Trek Retrospective Series. Let go. I have a Let point. And this Let point is valid. Go! He does it again. I think I need to be coming Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> Points made. That's all I'm going to say. Let it go. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Well, you know what? I'm ready to let this whole thing go. I'm ready to let Star Trek go after this one because, you know, I've given Next Generation casts a lot of passes with Generations and Insurrection. They weren't good movies, but you know what? I recommended them because I like these people. This one, I, I don't like them anymore. I don't want to watch this. It was grating to me to endure this movie. I was bored silly. Even though I was trying to give him 20, 30 minutes into this movie, trying to make it work for me, by the time it got to be an hour or so, in, I just really did not care how it ended anymore. And I saw this movie just once before. I rented it. I didn't see it in the theater. And I did not remember a thing about this movie beyond the clone of Picard and that car chase. Nothing else. And so all the quote-unquote plot twist, data sacrifice at the end, nothing resonated in my head of, oh yeah. But Every single thing that happened in this movie, I saw coming a mile away. That Data was faking he was before, that, that he was going to sacrifice himself, that every little twist was so telegraphed, it was not even suspenseful. I guess I don't understand what went wrong. All right, let, let's take it back. Let's take this back a few steps, okay? okay. I'm just going to ask some questions and see if you can answer them. Okay. Question one, why kill Data? Why make that a plot? Why sacrifice this beloved character? 
Can you see any reason to do it? Yes. Yes, I can too. What is that? The reason is we don't have anything here that matters. We need to do something big for the movies. Data's the most popular character. We've done this before with Spock. Let's do the same damn thing we did with Spock with Data. That way we don't have to really worry if people want more adventures that we don't have the most popular character. But when Spock died, I felt moved, and I felt that he died for something. He went down there. The whole needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few was telegraphed from the very beginning, and it worked for me. Now, here, in this movie, I, unlike Brock, remembered that Data died. And this is my second time watching the movie, and I caught a couple dropped references. Data was going to be the first officer, and the first officer's job is to protect the captain. And so Data did the job of the first officer. He sacrificed himself to save the captain it was said during the wedding scene and at one other point but i didn't feel his death was necessarily noble it was a one-for-one trade Right. And I forgot about that personal transporter thing that they had. So when they brought that back at the end, I'm like, oh, they, set, they did set that up, didn't they? And they did set up all that stuff. You're absolutely right. That bothers me for a whole other reason. In Star Trek 4, and many, many times in Star Trek, you see that when somebody's beaming, if somebody else jumps onto them... Both people beam. So why couldn't Picard and Data just hug and then hit that button? I don't get it. And another thing that bugs me, I do not believe something the size of the button, even in the 24th century, is an entire transporter. Do I believe it's something that says, hey, transporter, here I am, come get me? Yes. Do I believe it's a transporter in and of itself? No. No. The little plot device that they use for why they can't just beam off data is the transporter is broken. So the transporter doesn't work. I don't buy that this little button is a transporter. I mean, otherwise, Steve Jobs, look out. I have a problem with the transporter beam in this also in that Picard is on the bridge and says, transport me from here. And he goes... Every other movie, they go to transporter bays to get transported. Now, we've seen transport directly to something, but you always have to go to the bay to get transported in the ship, you know? If you're on the planet, they transport you from the planet to the bay. I think it's just harder to do if you're not in the bay, but you don't need the bay anymore. I've never seen that from the bridge before, but twice. We saw it twice in this movie. And you saw it in part four with the whales, and you saw it several times on the series if you watched. I mean, it's the way they do it. Why do they have to go down there? I don't think it's ever been explained. My guess is it's easier. I mean, you notice when Picard beamed from the bridge, it blew up the transporter this time. Right. My next thing is how blatantly obvious is it to kill Data when you have replacement Data? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, seriously, that undercuts any drama. You know, it's like, well, you killed Data. It's a good thing you got a spare. Yeah. Uh, You know, they had kind of done it in Wrath of Khan. We've already pointed out that Savick was supposed to be the replacement for Nimoy, but it wasn't literally a copy of Spock that had joined the crew at the beginning of the movie and said, oh, here's Spock's twin brother, and he's going to be joining us for this adventure. I mean, if they had done that and Spock died, we wouldn't have had the same emotional impact. It was painfully obvious how they were going to write themselves out of the situation. We hadn't lost anything. If anything, it cheapened Brent Spiner, I think. It just made him seem like, oh, he's replaceable, whatever he's doing. Data can be junked and brought back endlessly. In case anyone had any doubt, in the comic books, Data does come back. Oh. 
his memories are overwritten on top of B4, and he's just Data again, completely as he was. No mental handicaps or anything. Well, thank goodness for that. (laughs) I really thought, and I think I said this in the podcast, I thought they were going to kill Data in first contact. And I think that would have worked. It would have been very much a mirror of what they did the last time. The second movie, they killed the logical person. But I really thought, going in, I thought Data was going to die because he was seduced by the Borg Queen. But here, his death, it felt so much fluff. It just it did not matter at all. Why should it be any different than anything else in this movie? This movie feels designed to be a video game. I talked about how the action scenes were the most striking things. Was there a video game spinoff? of this because it really feels like I can see where the game would begin and the problem is the drama feels like those in between screens in between a video game it's like oh this is just toss off the science of the science fiction it's superfluous we're here because we want to see Worf at a gun turret in a dune buggy or Data piloting a little spaceship around inside another spaceship blasting his way out it's not a story it doesn't have Trek's curiosity it's cerebral quality has been completely lobotomized and it's now just a a bargain basement action sci-fi story and that's a shame that they couldn't find some reason in all of this to have a higher philosophical meaning for picard and his double or data and his double or god forbid both of the doubles in the same movie Going into this movie, again, I knew there was a Data clone and I knew there was a Picard clone. And before I pushed play, I have to say I was asking myself, why two? Is there some subplot, some existential metaphor that's being told? Is there a parallel going on where you can see, you know, a good versus a bad? No, there's none of this. It it just is. It's like it was written by an eighth grader. It felt like lazy screenwriting as opposed to drawing parallels. I got another thing I want to bring up. Ron Perlman, always an enjoyable actor in in latex, has done a lot of that work. Hellboy, oh, Beauty and the Beast. Him. Oh, it I was him. Figure out who it was. Oh, that's him. Yeah, Ron Perlman's in this movie. You wouldn't know it. I had to look it up. I didn't know myself. I looked it up. He has a moment where he's guiding bald clone Picard into the bedroom of Riker and Troy. Yeah, and essentially psychically rapes the woman. Can we have any justification for why that exists in What's this movie? What's even worse is they cut a second scene of him doing it again in the elevator. <laughs> oh, my God. I have to agree with you, Stuart. After watching that scene, I'm like, what purpose can this possibly have? And later on in the movie, when she's commanding the ship, remember me, mm-hmm. all that crap... You can't tell me they had that scene just so she could find him later. And if that's the reason they did it, what a horrible thing to do. Yeah. It just was just badly executed. There had to be a different way they can they had that same ending of her helping them find the clone ship using her empathic abilities, perhaps. Mm. Anyway. I don't know. To look on the bright side, I was just glad Troy did something. Yes. Yeah, it definitely felt like they had to come up with something for her to do. But I di- I just didn't understand why they would want to go there. It really yeah. – it's too dark for what it ends up doing and for the rest of the movie. It's too gross. Yeah, honestly, it was a rape in the Rosemary's Baby sense in that I wasn't quite sure what was going on is – you know, what is she seeing? It's not explicit. I mean it's just a, you know, a PG movie or PG-13 or whatever. But by the same token, I think it was way too dropped 
of a reference that Shinzon is exceptionally horny for human females and he doesn't like Romulans, but he wants a human female. And so he's going to take Troy. It was, you know, it was there, but it just wasn't explicit enough, clear enough, or it didn't work either when he's like wanting to touch Troy's hair. It doesn't come off creepy enough. And I think half of that is the actor playing Shinzon and half of it is the script. Hmm. You know what I spent most of this movie doing? Thinking about what would have been better. (laughs) Like, here we have a movie with Romulans. I don't know much about the Romulans. We have an opportunity to learn about them, and we spend almost no time with them at all. Right. Right. I was thinking about, as a non-Trek person, what are the things that I know about Trek that would have had resonance? Tribbles. Q. Someone new. A new villain. Just create something new and cool. There's so many things it seems like they could have done that would have caught fire instead of this very limp episode that, I mean, it wouldn't even be a good TV episode. I mean, I'm not even going to disgrace the series by saying, well, this should have been a TV episode. This shouldn't exist. This sucked. (laughs) One thing, Brock, earlier you said the effects were good. Did anyone else notice this entire movie was green? Everything in this movie was green. Shinzon wore green. The super weapon was green. The ships were green. I really felt like it was a Mutant Ninja Turtles the ooze had spilled into this movie. <laughs> the poster was green. Yeah, you're right. It was certainly had a green theme. It was a green. It was, they yeah, were going I just green. looked at the poster not too long ago and I was like, ah, it's green again. So, I mean, come on, come up with a different color, please. To close out this discussion, I challenge both of you to say something you liked about this movie. I have something I did really like, really like. But can either of you? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, I liked that it was shorter than some of the others. A couple of things I did notice that I thought were kind of cute. They have a Kirk Epsilon evasive maneuver. I thought that was kind of cute. Picard, when when they mention they have the Betazoids have a wedding in the nude, Picard drops a line, I'll be in the gym. Thought that was kind of funny. And Chateau Picard, the wine. They had some interesting kind of little moments like that, but they're so few and far between that when they did happen, I was like, ah, you know, something to latch on to, something for fun. Here's what I liked. I really liked the Enterprise ramming Shinzon's ship. I have never seen that before in Star Trek, and I've seen a lot of Star Trek. Hmm. Using I was the down with that. That was a cool. Battering ram. The effects worked. Yes. It was really cool. It was unexpected. You didn't see it coming. You expect, you know, something weird to happen. Like the sensor dish fires a super laser all of a sudden that the Enterprise never had before. That's what I was expecting. And having seen this movie again, I completely didn't remember Picard ramming the ship. I, yeah. I had already forgotten, but you're right. I did like that moment. I did think that was cool. Yeah, it was cool. However, I have to say I got a bad flashback because at the end, they show the ship being repaired in space dock so that we're not at the 1701F, although this movie might get an F. But we're at the 1701E in space dock, and they play the musical cues from part one when it's in space dock, and I had bad flashbacks. Like, no, no six-minute scene. (laughs) I thought it was a really cool scene, Arnie, but the only thing that went through my head was, oh, my God, they're destroying the ship again? When we saw the space dock shot you just talked about, I'm like, okay, good. Three out of four times in this series of the next generation sections of the movies, they destroy the ship or are about to destroy the ship, etc. You know what I mean? Like, they wreck the ship. The ship got hurt or damaged. I'm a little tired of the ship getting hurt. Stuart was talking about raising stakes. Ramming the ship in there was great, but the stake of the ship is being destroyed 
is played out for me. But I saw it as more than that. I saw it more as they could all die. Yes. It was a suicide maneuver. That was the stake. It wasn't just the ship. It was the ship and the crew. If I cared about what was going on at that yeah, point yeah. in the movie, um, my wife said the same thing. She said to me, what about all those people on those decks? Do they even evacuate that part of the ship, etc." And I'm like, honey, I don't know. I'm just watching the movie. <laughs> Admittedly, that stuff you know, could have been played out, but it would have telegraphed it. I didn't see it coming. I saw it. I went, damn, that's cool. It was the one thing. If I could rewrite this whole movie, that's what I would keep. And the score. I liked the opening music. It was unlike any other Star Trek music. It was kind of upbeat, and I'd listen to it while driving my car. And they had a backwards R in Star Trek for no reason. Yeah, that well, they were trying to show the mirror. You know, you had a forward R and a backward R. Oh. And you had a forward E and a backward E in Nemesis. I At see. first, I'm like, they really need to fire the font proofreader until I read that it was actually an intentional thing. But you had to read that. I didn't even catch that. It makes a lot of sense now that you brought it up because of the clones and the duality thing going on. Yada, yada. It Whatever. just would have been better had they actually explored some themes of duality. Agreed. So, Arnie Stewart, <laughs> do you recommend Star Trek Nemesis Stewart? I recommend that you watch this movie if you want to be really excited about the J.J. Abrams reboot, <laughs> remake, prequel, because I can't wait to start over. I couldn't wait to hit reset. This series is done. And I like Next Generation, but it's done. I don't want to see any more adventures with them. I don't want to spend any more time on a lame story like this. The movie's awful, and I've cut them a lot of slack, and I can't do it no more. Let's get on with it. Arnie. I recommend this movie. Kidding. Kidding. Oh, oh, oh. For me to poop on. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was going to hang up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that reaction was better than I hoped for. I thought I was going to have to, like, break you like I did in high school, cult style from the Star Trek thing. I'm like, it's got a whole mind meld with your mind. Get, let Roddenberry go. Stuart, I disagree with your statement. I don't think anyone should watch this. It, I don't think this will make anyone excited for anything Star Trek again. I think anyone who watched this movie would never want to see something with Star Trek on it in a long time. It takes a while to recover from this. And if I wasn't already excited about the J.J. Abrams, Abrams remake and I had watched this, I would skip the J.J. Abrams remake. This movie, it's just no fun. It's not intelligent. It's got nothing going for it, really. And I do not recommend this movie. The special effects were very good, but without any reason to have them, without me caring about what's going on, it just looks pretty. And I applaud them for trying to go in a different direction with the director, with the effects, with the tone, and all that kind of stuff. It just didn't work because the story wasn't there, and it just fell completely flat. Arnie, you're dead on about this being no fun to watch. I tried really hard to get into this movie, and it just failed me. I couldn't do it. But I have to say, even though Star Trek V is really bad, I think... Well, let me ask you two, which one is better, Star Trek V or this one? Because even though Star Trek V, it was just really hard for me to watch, I could probably watch this one again before I'd watch Star Trek V. When we did the five cast, I said there was one that fans embrace possibly less, and this is the one I was referencing. But 
Again, as I said in a previous podcast, I'm not going to split this hair. Five was incompetently made. This was incompetently written. Is one better than the other? Would you like to eat my dung or would you like to lick my sweat? <laughs> Ew. Okay. Interesting way to make your point, but point made. <laughs> um. <laughs> I can laugh at five. I can enjoy five for being bad. I have that capacity to enjoy artistic hubris crashing and burning. This lacks artistic hubris. It'd be better if they had been pretentious and tried to do something and failed. This just suffers from a lack of ambition. All right, maybe you're right. Very good argument. Um uh, I just like the production values of this more and stuff like that. But maybe you're right. Maybe there is something that the cheesy aspect of five does allow you to have a little bit more rewatchability. But both movies should not be watched anyway. So it's. But as I said then, after 15 minutes of five, and once they got off that planet and went seeking God, it was no longer fun bad. It was just painful to watch. It was USA up all night bad. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us for now playing. If you want to hear the other episodes in the Star Trek series or any other of our movie podcast reviews, you can go to www.nowplayingpodcast.com and go to our archive section and you'll find our episodes there. You'll also find a link at that homepage to our forums where you can discuss this and every other episode in this series with other listeners like yourselves. If you want to send us an email with your thoughts or comments, please do. Our email is show at nowplayingpodcast.com. Arnie, Stewart, it is time... Yes. It is time to see what we have been waiting for, what we have been anticipating, what we are doing this retrospective series in anticipation of. We have arrived. It better be better than the Friday the 13th remake. (laughs) (laughs) I say bring it on. I say bring it on. Every frame I see whets my appetite more. And I really hope that it works out for all of us. Uh, Just as a heads up to everyone listening... I have seen the preview, but that is it. I don't know anything about plot. I know very little about this and that, only because it's impossible to escape certain things. So I'm pretty much going into this completely fresh, especially on the plot. I just know the general premise, and so I'm really looking forward to being as surprised as possible. I just finished issue four of the four-issue comic called Countdown, which is a prequel to the new movie. And so I know the entire setup of the plot, and I'm so far okay with it. Good. I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) Yep. Shut up. All right, guys, so this is it. We will reconvene after we've all seen the new Star Trek movie, Live Long and Prosper. Dude. Dude. (laughs) Space. The final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Their ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life forms and new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before Thank you for joining us for this installment of Now Playing's Look Back at all of the films in the Star Trek series. Be sure to come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com every Friday from now until the release of the new movie May 8th for a new installment in our Trek retrospective. Star Trek and all the Star Trek universe contains is copyright and trademark Paramount Pictures, all rights reserved. 
Now playing is not affiliated with Paramount Pictures. Gentlemen, your work today has been outstanding. I tend to recommend you all for promotion in whatever fleet we end up serving. Now Playing is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated, copyright 2009, all rights reserved. Jonathan Frakes, directed by Simon Cowell. No, that's not right. Simon. So you told me what to say, and now you're telling me what right. to say. No, what shut I... up, Brock. You're talking too much. What are, <laughs> no, what are you saying? Give me some coffee. We've all seen the new Star Trek movie. Am I not going to get to say dude? No, I was going to... Damn! <laughs> Damn! I'm done. I'm done. I'm beaming off. No, I'm done. <laughs>